But what I do then is I'm hit by this wave of grief when I'm with them. Mm. And I just cry. And we just sort of move on. One's talking about their day. The other's building Legos on the ground. One's reading a book out loud to me. (laughs) And something hits me, and I just start to quietly cry. And they all see it, and they notice it. And it's happened enough that they realize this is the home they live in. Mm. And I'm hoping that them just seeing my own hurt and grief, but still that... I'm still around a community. I still believe God is gracious Mm -hmm. and he's good. And we just sort of fumble forward. And now, Mundane Faithfulness presents, in partnership with South Park Crawl Space Records, the Mundane Faithfulness Podcast. the Mundane Faithfulness Podcast, where friends of Kara Tippett's gather to discuss issues of grace, community, hardship, and the gospel. I am your host, Blythe Hunt, and today in the studio, we have our pastor, our friend, our brother in Christ, Jason Tippett's. Jason, I hesitate to use this word because it reminds me of Gollum and also Precious Moments. But our family has so many precious memories of the holidays with your family. Um, Last year, you gave us the priceless gift of sharing part of Christmas with Kara, knowing it was her last. The year before that, we spent Thanksgiving together. And the year before that, we went to a Christmas party at your house. And that's when we decided to join Westside. You guys throw a great party. Kara loved a good party. She threw a great party. She was the best at including everyone and making sure everyone was having the best time. Can you tell us some of the ways that Kara gathered people over the holidays and practiced hospitality? How did she take advantage of the holidays to build community and show the love of Jesus to others? Well, I think around the holidays is um, a lot of times it is just a reflection of the rest of your life. Um, you know, they are special because there is an idea of we need to get together family or friends. So there is sort of a normal, this is where you gather with people. But I I think if you don't have a pattern in your life that you'll have people over on just a boring Tuesday evening, then uh, having someone intrude on a Thanksgiving or even a Christmas will be a lot harder. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, with Kara and I, it was just a pattern of life that we wanted to create that we wanted to have an open home. Mm-hmm. And being that we've never lived around family, we had to be very intentional wherever we moved to uh, treat people like family and really include them in all the things we did. Mm. How did you guys figure out how to do that when you were young newlyweds? Did it start back then or did you figure it out later? Hmm. Well, it probably, it, in Kara's personality, she always wanted people around and so uh, a great evening in her mind was 20 people at our house. <laughs> and so early on in our marriage, that was a big adjustment because uh, I just like to be around her. 
and there wasn't yeah. this need of having all these people around. But I knew that made her uh, happy and fulfilled. Right. Um, and so uh, we just I just adjusted to it. And as I did, I grew in a better understanding of what it meant to love my neighbor mm. and to have people in our home. Um, she loved to cook, so she would make lots of food. And I know many times we'd have no plans for anyone to, that was supposed to come over. And we have so much food that at the last minute we'd start to call people. <laughs> Can you come over for dinner? Can you come over Aww. for dinner? So, How did that change when you guys had kids? How did that factor into being hospitable and building community in your home? Well, I think in one way it made it less odd because then we had another way to connect with other people with little kids mm -hmm. or older kids. So we could have them over, yeah. play with our kids. And also as our kids old, as our kids got older, we would ask them, who should we have over hmm. this week? And sometimes, well, most of the time it was their friends. Right. But many times we would talk about people in our church or in our community or neighborhood that we knew were uh, either lonely or having a hard time. Mm -hmm. And we would tell our kids, hey, what about we have this family over? And so we tried to include them in it, which mm -hmm. was fun for them. Yeah. So one of the questions we get a lot at Mundane Faithfulness is how to build community, how to gather people when one spouse is extroverted and one spouse is introverted. Caro was such an extreme extrovert, and you are more of an introvert. How did you figure that out in your marriage, and how did you make it work without having a conflict every time you wanted to gather people? Right. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And just to be clear, I don't even like people. Um, so... <laughs> You're in good company. <laughs> Thank you. No one listens to this, do they? <laughs> it's not public. This will be the one that they listen to. <laughs> Great. Um, yeah, I would say, you know, it's interesting, those two categories that we've created to try to uh, just understand people and put them in a box. Um, I don't, I think it's helpful, but it really is, especially when we understand God's hospitality to us, that he welcomed us into his family and he initiated that to us, then it what that should do is then create this desire to be hospitable with other mm -hmm. people. But it doesn't mean that the extrovert is much better at it and mm -hmm. the introvert's lousy at it. What it means is that the way that you're made, um, there's a way that you can be hospitable and engage people. And so I think it's moving past that idea because an extrovert can have this idol of the more people around. And early on in our marriage, Carrie, Carrie dealt with that. Um, the more people around, the more she felt significant and like mm -hmm. she was accomplishing something. Right. Where for me, it was just being around a few people, connecting with them. Uh, I could have the same idea that I'm accomplishing something. Right. But I think really it was uh, the question came down to, how do we provide a place where people feel really comfortable? Mm -hmm. And it was work and it's hard for an extrovert and it's hard for an introvert because we tend to treat our home as some kind of sacred place that the stranger isn't allowed to enter. Hmm. Um, but really your home is to be a place of hospitality, of engaging new people, talking about, ideas and thoughts that are foreign to you mm. and you know, welcoming people that you might not have a lot in common with. I love that. Last year when Kara spoke at a retreat here in town, she asked me to 
uh, speak for a couple of minutes and address introversion with the ladies because I would consider myself an introvert. And every time I speak and mention that I'm an introvert, women come up to me and say, I'm really shocked you're an introvert. But it doesn't mean that I'm not relational. And it doesn't mean that I don't love people and right. don't need relationship. Was <laughs> that a question? Now you say something. Oh, how this goes. I concur. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I think you're exactly right. It doesn't mean that an introvert does not need relationships. It just means that the way they're comfortable looks different than the extrovert. But... Uh, even with that, like as much as I, I'm fine to be alone. I feel very content to be alone. Mm-hmm. If I have a day that, um, you know, if Kara would say, go do whatever you want. And I would just go for a hike in the woods and just sit. Mm. And that was so peaceful to me where Kara and her extrovert, she would think, I remember her saying, I'm going to go to a movie by myself. And she had this idea that that's going to be wonderful. And I was like, great, go do it. And about 20 minutes later, I get a text. I'm at the movie and she lists four or five women that she (laughs) invited to meet with her for her time alone. So, yeah, we're, you know, our need as people is to feel a connection with someone else. Mm -hmm. And so relationships are hugely valuable. So this Christmas is very different this year without Kara, your beloved wife and mother to your four children. Are there aspects of Christmas that you have dreaded? And Hmm. in what ways has your heart missed her Hmm. over the holidays? That's a really good question. Uh, I think a lot of my answer to all those is, I don't know. Uh, Grief causes, at least for me, it causes a lot of confusion I've, I, I think I've missed her the most when I look into the eyes of my kids mm. because I feel like, for me, I'm equipped with more tools than my kids are. Mm-hmm. And so I, as I process grief, I can process it mm-hmm. and, you know, hopefully in a very healthy way, but I bounce back and forth. But I see my kids and I want them to have, you know, a fun Christmas and holidays. So to me, it's the extra work of how do you make this significant? And I think the tendency is to, uh, especially around Christmas, is to purchase more things, thinking we're just going to give, I'm going to give my kids more things, and then they're going to feel some kind of um, a lower amount of grief Mm. in their life. But really, I think what my kids need are just significant moments and times and memories mm-hmm. and conversations about Kara and what they miss about her and just g- give them a place where they can have those conversations. I think for so many people, Christmas, birthdays, Thanksgiving, all of these things that we like to celebrate become miserable times of uh, what they lack in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think as me and the kids move forward, it is walking in grief, but it's also enjoying the great things about your day. It's just a mix of that. And I think that's some of the things we struggle with as people is that's the tension of life. Mm-hmm. 
And what we want to do is erase the tension and be able to say, like, this day on Christmas, I'm not going to think about anything bad. I'm going to Hmm. just do wonderful whatever things. Instead of realizing leaving all that grief separating from that is not what life is about. It's really how do you live within that midst of that tension? And this is when, you know, this happens around our table when we eat together. When I eat a meal with our kids and one of them tells a story about Kara and I cry. And we just sort of move forward with the meal. And that's just a normal part of it. How do you navigate those waters with small children, even with my own children who have not experienced any loss except for the loss of Kara yet? I want them to understand that this life is not about them. It's not about how happy they can be and that there is that tension and there is um, grief in life. How do you navigate that with your children? You know, especially with kids, they are a little more emotionally charged with things. Someone steps on their toy. Someone hurts their feelings. They're not included in a game. Mm-hmm. There is that small sense of grief. And so I think it's trying try not to separate the little grief from the great grief. Mm-hmm. And so when my kids, when there's a small amount of grief with them, they got left out of something or, you know, did poorly on something at school and they grieve and they're upset about it. I think it's um, just letting them talk about it because if I don't give them time to talk about those small griefs, why would they ever want to talk about the big grief? Mm. And where me as their parent, I want them, I want them to talk about the big grief Mm -hmm. because I feel like that is the scar. Like that's the big scar that I see in their life. Right. But it's giving them time to talk about the small grief that then leads them to feel comfortable to talk about the big grief. Mm -hmm. And as they grow, it's going to look very differently. They're going to, uh, I imagine at some point, they're going to have those times of grief about losing their mom. And I don't know when it's going to come. But I just need to be aware. I need to be approachable as their parent that they can talk to me about anything. And to not say, oh, you know, if someone hurts your feelings on the playground, that's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. Just be strong. But to meet them there and say, gosh, I remember that happening to me too. That's really hard. It Mm -hmm. hurts. And just validating those feelings and letting them know too that this is part of life of how does Jesus, how does the gospel speak to that grief? Mm. I love that. And I'm thinking about my own experience as a child. Not that I'm not listening to you. (laughs) But it's what you're describing is so different from what I experienced. Because if I fell down, I would look at my mother to see what my response should be. And if she were not concerned, then I would hold back the tears. Hmm. But if she looked concerned, then I knew it was safe to cry and that she would validate how upset I was. And I feel like what she was trying to do was give me perspective. But when you're a little kid, you really don't have much because your world is small and you don't have a lot of life experience. How did growing up, trying to deal with grief, and then losing your parents, what was the healing process for you that allowed you to be honest about what grief should look like? Are you asking me? Yeah. (laughs) Well... When my parents died, I didn't have a theological foundation to 
understand in any way, even the smallest way, why God had allowed that to happen. Mm. I grew up in a Christian home, but the counsel that I received was that God just allowed it to happen. We live in a fallen world. And I thought, what a crummy God who would just allow something like that to happen, Yeah, who just would sit back and let something like that happen. So I became angry. And for all of my 20s, I was angry and I turned away from God. And it wasn't that I didn't believe in him. I did, but I just didn't like him anymore. Mm. Um, But after years of wild living, I couldn't figure anything better out. So a friend had given me a book, and the first sentence in the book was, it's not about you. (laughs) And I had never thought of that before. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I moved in with my sister, and I started going to their church, and I went to their inquirer's class. And they had a different kind of theology than what I was raised with. And I started to understand what a sovereign God means and what it means that our God is holy and good. And everything all of a sudden had context. And I realized that God was not an aloof God. He Mm. wasn't just standing back, allowing bad things to happen, that he really did love me. And that he had purpose in everything. And I was so filled with joy because it meant that everything had purpose and that it was okay that I had wasted years of my life because it wasn't really a waste. It was okay that I had wrestled with anger. It was okay. It was all okay because he had purpose, even if I will never understand that purpose this side of heaven. So I think what it was was finally just really realizing and believing and trusting that he is a loving God and that he cares for me and that my feelings— and my emotions and my grief um, were valid to him. Yeah. Well, I think it's a strong statement to realize that there are purpose in things and we will probably not understand it. Because my, my like quick thought about uh, losing Kara is, uh, what's the purpose in this? How can my kids understand this purpose? And... Um, I don't think I'll ever understand it where I think it's just me walking with my kids every day, treating them like normal kids, Mm -hmm. um, extending all the love that I can towards them and uh, allowing them opportunities to talk about things. And this grief will form them in a way that I can't prescribe it. I can just walk with my kids. And it might mean at some point, some of them become really angry, mm. but I want to build the foundation in them that they can say anything to me mm. and it's okay. I'm not going to jump on them mm-hmm. if they don't have this certain idea about God. I want to give them space because I think that's when they're going to, just like you, figure out through a, a godly community and God's word that God is abundantly gracious and mm-hmm. he meets us and he's with us. You have been listening to the Mundane Faithfulness Podcast with Blythe Hunt, an official production of the Mundane Faithfulness blog. You can find us on the web at mundanefaithfulness.com or on Facebook at mundanefaithfulness.com slash community. Subscribe now to hear the weekly podcast on iTunes or your preferred podcasting application. Help us spread the word. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please go to iTunes and leave a review. Thank you for supporting the Mundane Faithfulness community.